Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hi, Clear Choices listeners. Rob Eigner here. We have an incredibly special guest today. I'm speaking with someone, Travis Mills, who I reached out to the first month that I started this podcast back in October. Travis Mills is a United States Army Staff Sergeant. He was in the 82nd Airborne Division, and he was critically injured in Afghanistan. He is one of only five servicemen that have survived a quadruple amputee injury. I want you to get your head around that. Quadruple amputee injury. So obviously he's overcome something really unimaginable for most people, but that's not why he's really on the show. Why he's on the show, why I invited him to be one of my very first guests, it just took us this long to get him on the show, was that when I saw his YouTube interviews and some of the speaking engagements he did, he came from such a positive point of view, such a hopeful point of view, and maybe most importantly, he came from a sense of humor. He found humor in everything, including his challenges. And I just found that incredibly inspiring. And now it's kind of poignant and perfect that we're not doing the interview until today because as our country finds ourselves in the midst of this coronavirus challenge, to hear the perspective of someone who's been through what Travis has been through, but also is approaching life the way he's approaching it, I think is going to be incredibly valuable. So with that said, welcome to the show, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the time and the opportunity today. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know I didn't do your bio uh, justice. Why don't you at least start with taking us back a little bit to what happened with your injury and what your recovery looked like and talk to us a little about your, your mindset. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, you did a great introduction of me because normally when I go and I speak, I tell the person to introduce me, just go out there and say, what do you call a guy with no arms, no legs in the ocean? Bob, right? <laughs> on the doorstep, Matt, on a wall, Art, here today, Travis Mills, and I'll come walking out, I tell him. And nobody ever does that joke. And if they do the joke, I had two people take me up on it. I'm like, Oof, I can't believe you just said that. So it never works out for him. <laughs> I, think, but, uh, I, think, I think it's better when you do the joke than me, for sure. <laughs> well, I, I always wait. And then when they don't do it, I say that that's a joke that we're going to say. But uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate having me on. And a little bit about me, you know, small town kid from Vassar, Michigan. I uh, joined the military after I went to college for a semester and realized that college wasn't my thing. I did three deployments with the 82nd Airborne Division, and on my third deployment as a staff sergeant, I was on a patrol, sent my backpack on the ground, and it happened to land on top of a bomb. And it was a 120-pound backpack. It, it landed on the bomb. The bomb went off. And as it went off, it took my right arm, right leg off automatically. They actually never found those pieces of me. I got thrown to the left side of my face. And when I rolled over my back to see what happened, uh, my right side was gone. My left leg was dangling. If you can imagine your left angle bone touching your left thigh, that was doing that. Mm. And 
my wrist was blown out pretty bad, but I still had use of my thumb and next and middle finger. So I hit the ground, I rolled over, left eye swell shut, see what happened. And my medic, Dan Bateson, starts to work on me. And I look at my medic and say, hey, doc, you're not going to save me. Like, just go save my guys, bud. And he ignores that. The tourniquet's on my right side. My platoon sergeant, Sergeant Hambright, puts the tourniquet's on my left side. And while they're working on me, in my head, I keep seeing the movie um, Saving Private Ryan. And I keep seeing where the medic gets shot in the stomach. And he cries out for his mom. And he says, I don't want to die. And he ultimately, you know, he dies. And I always told myself, I will never be that guy. I'm always the first one to exude confidence, leap from the front, first in a firefight, last out, never, you know, show any fear. So for me, it was more about, you know, whatever happens, happens. Don't be that guy and just accept the fate of what's about to, you know, come to fruition, I guess, or whatever's going to happen. And as they're working on me, I radioed my LT. I reached out my left hand, which I still had parts of it working. And I radioed my LT from my hand mic on my chest. And I told him, you know, hey, six, this is four. And a guy's injured and dramatic with mine. He sent Doc Voice over. He worked the, and Doc Voice worked on the other two guys. Then they worked on me. And as he worked on me, he was kind of in a zone of like rely on your training. So he kept trying to reassure me I was going to be okay. Like that's what they taught. Like, you know, hey, tell your patient they're going to be fine. Reassure your patient. Keep them calm. And he kind of got stuck on repeat. And he's like, you're going to be okay, Sergeant Mills. You're going to be okay, Sergeant Mills. You're going to be okay, Sergeant Mills. And I looked at him and said, hey, Doc, shut up. Just do your job. Whatever happens, happens. It's fine. Not your fault either way. I do appreciate you. And then made some jokes. And they got me on a helicopter uh, within 10 minutes of that. They flew me out with my two guys. And one of my guys was yelling out in a lot of pain. And he was injured, you know. And as he's yelling out in pain, I'm trying to tell him it's going to be okay. And I'm telling the flight medic, you know, take your helmet off so I can hear him. And he, he wouldn't. And I finally worked my left arm out of the strap they had me strapped into. And I swung it over my head to get his attention. And I said, take your helmet off. I had other choice words, but whatever. And he took his helmet off. And I said, hey, give my guys water and tell them they're going to be fine. I'm sorry I yelled at you. And I winked at, you know, when the one guy I could see, I was trying to reassure him he was going to be okay. And um, it's kind of cool. Like that flight medic, the two flight medics actually wrote my wife a nice letter. It's in my book that I wrote, uh, you know, Tough As They Come. But it's, it, we published it in the book. And really nice that they did that. But made it to the hospital. They rushed me into surgery. I was still awake and conscious, and I kept trying to sit up. And the nurses finally like had to knock me out. They're like, Sergeant Mills, you need to go sleep. I don't know how you're still awake. And they knocked me out. And when they knocked me out, you know, I looked at that nurse, and the last thing I said to the nurse was, my little girl, am I ever going to see her again? Because I had a six-month-old at home waiting for me to get back. So I got put under medical sedation. Nine doctors and seven nurses worked on me for 14 hours. Two nurses for nine hours pumped air in and out of my lungs. And I was given over 400 units of blood, which is actually the most blood ever given to somebody in Afghanistan, to the point where they ran out of A positive blood and gave me universal. So my blood type changed for a little bit to universal or O negative or whatever. Travis, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, I mean, this is mind-blowing to hear you tell this. How did you become the person that could be so calm under such such dire situations that you you're keeping other people calm when you're the one who's the quadruple am- amputee like how does the, how do you become that guy well it might sound dumb and i don't think i'm like this lieutenant dan like i'm you know battle and wars in my blood and i need to die in the battlefield with my men you know you remember uh gary sinise and he's a good friend of mine now but um when I used to watch war movies, a couple of things resonated. You know, uh, when Band of Brothers, they told Blythe to start shooting and he has to realize that he's already dead. 
and he'll be the best soldier ever. And also, there's another movie I watched, and the, the guy said, how are you never afraid in battle? And the guy that was, like, on the horse talking, he said, I've seen squires pull spears out of them and fight on, and I've seen knights, you know, cry and beg not to die. But at the end of the day, you know, you're not in control of what happens. So if you live that way, you're fine. So for me, you know, not that I'm, like, some warmongering person that enjoys it. I just, at the end of the day, it just is what it is. There's no other choice for me on the battlefield you know it's it's uh you gotta do what you gotta do and in my mindset i knew going in i would never be that guy that cried out for his mom cried out for his life begged not to die because that's not the memory i would leave on anybody and you know the first day in country this is a a war story but first day in country we got this huge firefight and it, it lasted about i don't know like probably five hours we kept moving and shooting and I was kind of directing everybody's fire. I kind of took charge and I was the third highest enlisted ranking guy over there. But afterwards, we got back to this FOB and these two soldiers that had been deployed before with different units who were E4s and stuff like that in team leader positions. They came with me. They said, look, Sergeant Mills, we got to be honest. We had no idea why you're promoting staff sergeant and why you were the weapon squad leader. Because I was the youngest E6, but I was in charge of the weapon squad, which is the senior's job, senior E6's job. So I was given that role, even though the other three guys were older, more experienced, more time in. And they said, but after today, like, I will follow you to hell and back. And my demeanor completely changes in the situation. So like, I'm the happy go lucky guy, always joking. That's what their point was. They were making like, we don't know how you got promoted and got that position because you're always happy and smiling and having a good time. And then they didn't know that my first sergeant and me had been in battle and like war together. So he knew how I acted when the, when bullets started flying and um, they're like, we apologize. We didn't get it, but man, we will follow you to hell and back. And I think that's probably how I kept my demeanor. It's just in my head, I had it set from day one. When I joined the military, I was never going to be that guy that freaked out. And I knew that whatever happens kind of, that's what happens. Right. And were you, were you that guy when you were 10 or 15, you know, an athlete, or I'm assuming you were an athlete, yeah. was, you know, I'm assuming things, but were you that guy then too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I was the captain of the baseball, basketball, football team in my high school, you know, junior, senior years. I was even the varsity baseball captain my sophomore year. So I I guess that had something to do with it, knowing that you can't change, you know, the situation that you find yourself in just by trying to will it to change. And I think a lot of it's like stubborn, just stubborn pride. Right. I wasn't going to let them see me see me in my uh, my mental state that that I really was in. What, what, what are the choices you've made around that in your life? So, you know, do, do you make a conscious choice of like, I want to be a leader or I want to be, I want to show up this way for my family or for my foundation or, you know, for my soldiers before I got injured or my, my teammates when I played baseball, how much of that is a choice and what's your process for determining how to be? Well, I mean, I was gifted with some pretty good athletic talent and I wanted to be the one that worked the hardest and I wanted to be the one that people depended on and you know Bob of the ninth counts you know three balls two strikes and bases are loaded and you're down by three runs I want that pitch so that's always kind of been my demeanor in the military I always wanted to get more rank and it wasn't always about more money it was about the position title and you know when I was E2 I was signed for all these trucks and equipment and I would have my own truck I was a truck commander of supposed to be like a, a non-commissioned officer and I was a 19 year old I don't want to say kid, but 19-year-old charged my own truck. The next deployment, I was at E5, which is supposed to be a team leader position as a squad leader. And my third deployment, I was at E6, supposed to be just a squad leader. The 
not not the green one. I wouldn't say green, but like the youngest. Like the one guy had 13 years in the service. The other guy had 11. And the other guy had, I think, nine. And I had six. But I was put in charge of the weapon squad, and therefore I was a senior E6. And I've always I've always thrived on that. I want that pressure. I want I want to play that position in that role. And you know, I think that's probably my whole life. I, I guess I've been I've been doing that. You know, I always played up in sports and things like that. And I've been very very blessed with just uh, that mindset, just growing. I guess. And then at the hospital when I got injured, um, I was I was one of the older guys to get injured. I was twenty five. And a lot of the younger guys get, you know, hit. So I became someone they looked up to and they believed in. And if they had a problem, they came to me so I could fix it for them. So even though I was injured at the hospital recovering, I was still being the voice for them and taking care of their problems. I had one soldier who was in my platoon, lost uh, both legs, having a rough day. He had a guy that he was assigned his squad leader. They had people that look over you at the hospital, make sure you're going to the appointments and helping you out. And he kept calling and calling and yelling at my buddy Stefan. Like, hey, you get over here and da 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 da. And Stefan was like almost in tears because he was like in a meeting about maybe losing his knee. So I and Stefan, I said, hey, what's going on? And he told me he was like breaking down a little bit. Like this guy wants me to come do a urinalysis test and da 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 da. And he keeps calling me and yelling at me. And I have to get this time. I might lose my knee. I said, just give me your phone. And I called the guy back. I said, hey, Sergeant Mills, you need to meet me in your first sergeant's office. And he goes, well, I'm Staff Sergeant. Da da da. And I'm like. Let me rephrase that. This is Staff Sergeant Mills. You need to meet me in your first sergeant's office. If you don't beat me there, it'll be the worst day of your military career. And that was it. And then I drove my wheelchair over to the first sergeant's office. I ended up beating him there. He came in yelling. And I put him, you know, I, I yelled right back. I told him to sit down. And then my, the first sergeant and me had a conversation. I had a conversation with him. And I said, now I expect better out of you. And that was it. So I didn't do that for, like, dumb things. Like, someone was like, well, he's being mean and called me names. Like, that's not... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like it was no one came to me for that kind of problem, but like big problems, you know, I, I like to be the one that they called on. And then the hospital called on me as well. The hospital was like, hey, Travis, we have a guy upstairs that's injured, doesn't really know what his future is going to be like. His family's kind of nervous. We can't tell you because of HIPAA, you know, his name, but we can tell you he's not in room 40 and he's not in 42. But if you can find him, we'd love for you to go visit, you know, so I, I would I would do so that. So you, you didn't started. find him, right? Because you're not very good at math. No, no, I was an army guy. I'm not Marines. Uh, so I, I found him no problem. Yeah. But, uh, you know, because the Marines are just so dumb. But uh, don't worry. They don't get offended at my jokes. They just don't, they don't get jokes. But no, so no, they're good at being a punchline. They take punch as well. So I would, I would go up there. I just came from Marine. Thanks for your service. But uh, I would, I would go up there and then it got to the point where, Hey, Travis, we have PFC Johnson missing both legs. His wife and his mother-in-law are in the room with his two-year-old you know, son. And it, it was pretty cool. Cause I, we'd start like our own welcoming committee and it was part of our uh, PT in the morning or our workout was we had to walk the floor and meet people. So whether you were in a wheelchair, just starting out short legs or tall legs, you were in there shaking hands. We had a, up to like, I think 12 guys at one time um, saying hi to people. And I've, I've jumped around a lot of stories. And that, I and apologize. That, no, you're, you're fine. You're leading me. <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing fine. Um, you, um, I'm assuming that's how your speaking career sort of started. You know, it is. It, it started everything. There's a nonprofit out of Dallas, and they're uh, Photolanthropy. And it's photo like, you know, Photolanthropy. They do really wonderful things. And they saw a picture, and they had a guy they put up for a story that was nominated to them to do a 10-minute short story on. And the guy wasn't ready. He's missing a leg below the knee. Didn't want to do a story. But they're like, who's that guy in the picture? And I was smiling, right? No arms, no legs, smiling, hanging out in the picture. Right. And right. they reached out and told what they wanted to do. And we said, yeah, okay, we'll try it. And 
that got me rolling. You know, I got the, the documentary done. Lockheed Martin reached out for me to speak for the very first time about STEM at the National Science Convention. And turns out I was pretty decent at speaking, had a good time. And, you know, signed my book deal, got my book out there and just kind of been rolling ever since. I do about 60 a year. Um, this year I was on pace for like 80. So I told my father-in-law who works with me, um, he's the one that helps book them and does emailing and stuff like that. And I said, you know, we're going to slow this down a bit. He goes, no, no, we're not. And I'm like, well, you have kids that are grown. My kids are young. So I'm going to slow this down a bit, bud. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's been going pretty well. And you know, there's, there's choices in, in life that you have to make. And, you know, mine for the military was, was a, a easy choice. Cause I didn't like college and I was tired of wasting money. I thought I was just throwing money away. And then, um, I met my wife and 17 days into our relationship that we spent in person, we got married wow. and we've been married going on 12 years now. And, you know, when it came down to my third deployment, I didn't have to go. I had orders take me to Fort Hood, Texas. And the big army was like, Hey, look, Sergeant Mills, you've done over two years combat. Take this one off go build this brigade up in Texas, you know, get a change of scenery and you don't got to go. And I thought that's not fair. These guys come from all across this nation and they're able to serve under me, believe in me and I'm their leader. So I had my orders canceled and I went overseas because my choice was, you know, to be with my brothers. My wife understood that. And with a newborn tax free money and stuff, isn't so bad to get when you're overseas for nine months. So we, we had that in our minds too. So I understand that choice. And of course, I'm sure everyone listening really admires you and appreciates your service without question. So I'm going to ask a question. I know, I am assuming I know what the answer is going to be, but so do you regret taking that last deployment? No, I regret getting you know hit by a bomb, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, um, I don't regret going overseas, I guess. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have when looking back, I want to get blown up, but at the same time, what I've learned, and I usually say this for the last part of my presentations, and I usually on the podcast, I'll, I'll wait till someone asks me, like, what have you learned from this? But I think it's important. That I've learned two life lessons from this. And the one that really, you know, resonates right here for this question is don't dwell on the past. Mm-hmm. Just reminisce it. I used to sit there and hope and wish and pray this never happened. But every time I opened my eyes, I'd realize that, oh, yeah, I still have no arms and legs. This is still my situation or still my, my you know, life, and I can't change it. So as many times as I get asked the question, like, do you regret going on that deployment? Like, I don't, I mean, sure, sure. I don't want to get blown up. I don't want to lose my arms and legs, but at the same time, can't change it. So, you know, you can play the what if game until you're blue in the face and you pull your hair out because you're driving yourself crazy. But I don't do that. I just reminisce. I had 25 great years in arms and legs and I've had, uh, you know, going on eight years now without arms and legs and it's been pretty incredible. Thankfully for the, the nation I live in, the service I got at Walter Reed, the prosthetics that are provided to me, I can walk, drive, feed myself, do everything that at the beginning I couldn't. You imagine going from a full grown, you know, guy, if you will, doing anything he can to take care of his family and fights and wars and stuff and then get knocked down, arms and legs taken away, lose 110 pounds in seven days. And now someone's got to literally feed you, help you go to the bathroom, you know, all the stuff that's involved with that, not to get too weird. I'm sorry. No, you're and, fine. You know, but feed you, dress you, give you baths, you know, like that was the worst part of my life. It wasn't so much the injury. It was the loss of autonomy. Yeah. I mean, the injury sucked. They're going me wrong. Like it was awful. But if I look back, like what was the worst part of my life? It was the five weeks I was awake. I had to ask someone to put food in my mouth. I had to ask somebody to help me go to the bathroom and clean up. I had to ask, you know, somebody to dress me like that's, 
no way. No way do I want that. I still have seven minutes of my day, and that's a stretch, probably only like five. I have to have someone help with my legs on and put deodorant on my uh, my left arm and then also put my arm on the right way. So like my father-in-law, my wife, my dad, there's very select few people that I allow into that part of my life, Like, but they help me get ready for the day. And then the rest of the day, you can be pretty autonomous. Oh, yeah. Well, if I don't put my legs on, I can do everything by myself. I got a van. I can jump in and drive off, but I also have a truck. So I drive my truck, you know, but yeah, I can take my, I can take my van anywhere I want to go with my wheelchair. So what are some of the key, you know, I, I, I knew going into this interview that you were not going to be a, a pity party kind of guy. And I don't want that on my show anyway. So what mm-hmm. are the biggest blessings you've gotten out of this? Well, I mean, I learned how to walk with my daughter. She was like, you know, seven, eight months old, learned how to walk. And I was holding her hand and we were walking together on my short legs. I get the chance to be at home with my family quite a bit now, you know? I'm not sure if this is a good one or not one, but financially I'm stable. I feel like that's that's a huge one. Um I can remember being a lot of paycheck to paycheck in the first days of my military career and then, you know, saving up for like that big ticket item of a new cell phone or, you know, stuff like that where now I mean financially I'm I'm secure, which is nice. But, you know, just still being here with my family and things like that is like my biggest thing. And then, you know, taking the opportunities as they come and see what we can do. The foundation has been a huge success where my wife and I started donating $5,000 from ourselves to do care packages overseas to guys that were in my unit and their guys that, you know, were on different deployments. And now it's this multi-million dollar veterans retreat center where veterans that have been through situations like mine, paralyzation, amputation, spinal injuries can come learn how to do things adaptively for free uh, with their families. Cause my biggest part of my recovery is my wife and my daughter. And now my wife, my daughter, and my son, and just so blessed to have have all of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let, let's actually, I know you brought up the financial piece. Let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, you, in my, you know, short time of knowing you uh, and, and reading about you, you know, you've obviously you've reinvented yourself. That's sort of a, an understatement. Uh, so not only in terms of the speaking and how you've adapted to the physical changes in your life. But now, you know, you've become from what I understand, like a real entrepreneur, like besides the book and the speaking, why don't you tell people a little bit about some of the other things that you operate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a lodge in the marina that I own with a buddy of mine. We have boat slips on a lake and like 40 cabins and cottages and rooms. I just bought a barn that's next door that we're going to convert into something cool, hopefully by next May. Right now, a lady rents it from us. So that works out. And I part owner insurance company. But, you know, in truth, life's with, with my life and things that have happened, it was more about acceptance. And that might sound weird, but when I got injured, I used to be six foot three, 250 pounds, walk around. I could pick anything up I needed to pick up, right? I was the guy people asked for help. I was never the guy that asked for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and not that it was a bad thing. So like accepting help was a hard thing for me, accepting that I needed people to help me at my lowest points. And then still to this day, stuff like that, you know? But then also just accepting that this is my new normal. I tell people in two weeks, I've realized like life wasn't going to be any better the more I dwelled on the past. But in, in truth, like, you know, it, it took me a while, six months to be able to look at myself again. I, at the hospital, I was somebody. So life, kind of like a roller coaster, right? I'm in high school. I'm chugging along. I'm on the top of my game. I'm Mr. Athlete, all-star this, scholarships are there, going great. I go to college. I don't like college. I don't like school. And I'm not saying college is bad. I, I don't want you to think that. Please don't take it that way. I'm just saying for it wasn't me, for it wasn't for you. No, it wasn't. And I plan on going back. I, I'm not going to go back now, but I plan on going back. And I had been going through the military. I had a year and a half left 
of college. I was going to become a recruiter after my third deployment. And that way I'd be home, finish my degree out, change over to be an officer. But anyways, back to like cloud nine playing football. Then I went to college and I'm the freshman on the team. So like, I'm not playing, you know, a lot of snaps and things like that. So like I got to reinvent myself, but it's not that great. So I go downhill and I go back in the military. I go back uphill. I found my purpose. I have a calling. I have brothers again, right? It's fun. I like it. And I build myself in the, in the military. I get a wife. I have a daughter. Buy a house. Everything's going great. I get blown up. I go down again, right? Mm-hmm. I start working out at the hospital. Now I'm the guy everybody calls on. I'm the guy that the other guys that are injured, the staff at the hospital, the, the physical therapists, occupational therapists, nurses, doctors, everybody comes to you and they have a problem with another patient. Hey, this, this guy's doing this. Or this person up here is doing this. This family member needs that. I'm somebody. Well, I retire out of the army. I retired out from the hospital there. And I go back to Dallas, Texas. My in-laws lived at my wife grew up. And I can remember the first day I got back there, I walked into the room. I was saying that their master bedroom, they gave it up for me. You know, while my house in Maine was getting built, I sat on the edge of the bed and they had a picture of me. It's pretty famous, not famous. I'm not famous, but like a pretty well-known picture. If you, if you see my story or you go online and Google my name, yeah. and I have an orange hat on, says Vashon Balkans, have my military gear on. I'm overseas. I got my rifle in my hand. It was actually the last picture I ever taken of me. Uh, I took it the day before I got blown up. And I looked at that picture and I said, who am I now? And I broke down and I teared up and I cried. And I said, I'm no longer Staff Sergeant Mills. I am no longer that guy in that picture, any way, shape or form. Who mm-hmm. am I? Mm-hmm. And you know what? It took me a little while to find, you know, well, didn't really, I guess a weekend I was working out again. I was re- you know, inventing my workouts because I had to like start, you know, a new normal. What was your answer? What was your answer to who am I now? Well, I was fortunate the documentary was already out and then speaking started like popping up and I started working out and being around like the guy I worked out with, David Vibora, he started the Adaptive Training Foundation out of Dallas, Texas now. He's a wonderful guy, former linebacker. I was on Ellen DeGeneres with him a couple of years back, but like I found another group of people. I thrive off people. So I found another group of people like to work out with. And he, he always trains, or he used to train, he still does, but only Olympians and NFL players and like baseball players. So like pro athletes. So I was around all those guys. And then like I started getting back out there and doing things. I started speaking and then I moved to Michigan when it got too hot in Texas for me because I don't like the heat because my amputations make me hotter and warmer. I worked out there. I started doing things there. And then I got to Maine. And by then I was full on speaking and just kind of reestablished myself as I, as I went. You know, I, I got close to a lot of high up people in Maine and, and I'm friends with a lot of them. And it's kind of nice. I mean, you know, it'd be that person people call like this whole coronavirus thing. You know, people are asking me, Hey, can you do a video for this? Or can you come to this meeting? Can you be at this event for me? And, and I guess just finding out like, okay, well, my military days are done. I'm not, you know, the guy that they call on to go on missions and get the bad guys anymore, but, but I still have a positive life I can live. And, and you're making a huge, a huge difference for people. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm not trying to say like the show to be like funny, but you know, the clear choice for me was just like, I got my wife, my kids, let's push forward, find new purpose, new normal and get moving. No, I love that. That's, that's, that's not uh, that's right on target. So you brought up the coronavirus uh, situation that we're finding ourselves in. So I want to go there a little bit because a lot of people in this country, a, lo- a lot of people in general, you know, they've never faced something like this something that's an, a big unknown. It's scary. Uh, we don't know when it's going to end. You know, for people who are low on the economic scale, they don't know where their next paycheck is coming from. Yeah. For people who are higher up on the economic scale, they're, they're losing massive amounts of their net worth and their, everything they've worked for all their lives. So 
So given that that's a first time experience for a lot of people, what kind of advice or insight can you provide? Because you've gone through something that is unknown and scary and changed your life, et cetera. I mean, I can't tell people about finances and money and things like that because uh, everybody's situation is different. Like you said, there's people that probably aren't getting to eat as much food as they normally do. My biggest thing besides for you know disabled veterans is, is children. You know, I think it's never a kid's fault. So I try to give back and do things like that for children. But, you know, I think when stuff like this happens, you find out what's truly important to you. And I'm hoping people are clinging on the, you know, to the fact that they have their families. Mm-hmm. I hope that they realize that, you know what? finances and problems like that are really, really minuscule compared to being around your family. I I know you mentioned before, you know, being at your home and having your wife and kids and stuff like that, like you're going to spend a lot of time with them. Now, you know, do I wish I'd go out in public? Absolutely. I had a buddy stop by today. I had to sign a paper for our company and I was so excited to have him here. We talked for probably 45 minutes, six, maybe eight feet apart though. (laughs) But, uh, but you know, it's also, I think, when things happen like this, you find out only thing that really matters is family or your friends and your, you know, being connected that way. So you can really break down what's needed in your life, what's not needed. My wife and I have found out we don't really need Starbucks every day. It's crazy. We don't. And we don't need, you know, Amazon to buy things. And, and if we don't have it here, we, you know, and not that we buy a lot of stuff. I'm just trying to make, you know, make a light joke, but you know, you peel all the layers back and you find out what's important for me in my recovery. It was my family, my wife, my daughter. You know, like I said, I talked to my mom sternly because she let me sleep through a visit with my daughter one day. The only reason I was able to have such a positive outlook and not put like a lot of pressure on my daughter. I, mean, I don't think she really knows the difference. She's eight now, but it, it was having her because as much as like I'm her dad, she looks up to me. I, I have to make sure that I'm setting an example. I'm setting my motto of never go, never quit that I live by. And I'm living that for her to see. And my kids will see me get knocked down. Sure. They'll see me struggle sometimes. They'll never see my temper. I hope. Cause I, my wife after 12 years of marriage uh, still hasn't seen my temper. Like I don't like to get angry and it's not my thing. I get quiet. You know, if I ever get upset, I get quiet, but I don't know. I, I guess with people like struggling with, with financial burdens or, or this whole unknown, you really find out, you know, to you what is important. And when it came down to what was really important to me or what is important, it's always been my family. I love that. That's great. So let me uh, let me pivot. I pulled up an article from uh, the Mayo Clinic, and it talks about the important uh, importance of laughter and humor. So I'm not going to, of course, read the article, although I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but it just talks about the fact that stress stress relief from laughter is no joke. Short term benefits include, you know, uh, stimulates organs, uh, soothing tension improve immune system, relieve pain, increase personal satisfaction, improve your mood, on and on and on. So there's medical evidence that shows that laughter really is the best medicine. Yeah. Now, how conscious of a choice was that for you to use humor in your speaking and in your recovery, or is that just who you are? Well, have you ever been to a funeral and you saw the guy that was very un- uneasy and then sure. he makes jokes that are like, you're like, oh, why would you make that joke? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> I, I am that guy to a T. Not that I think funerals are funny or death's funny. I'm that guy because I get so awkward when it comes to like being serious that humor's just always been my go-to. Mm-hmm. And it has helped me. But what I do and what I realize is people 
are afraid of the unknown, like we just discussed. And when someone sees me, but doesn't, they don't know who I am, they have that fear of like, oh, I don't want to be caught looking or what do I say? I want to say the wrong thing and offend this man. And I'll make a joke. Like, and that makes them, that makes them more comfortable. Well, it helps really disarm the situation. That's, are, you try, I, are you trying you to make a pun I, there? I caught you, you on I that. There? I saw the yeah. pun. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, so for me, humor has always been like my go-to. I was at the hospital and it was one of the worst things ever. The nurses were all doing their, their end of the day, end of shift changeover. And it happened every day. And I saw them all gathering. They had me right across the hall from the nurse's station. In case I ever need anything, you know, severely wounded guy. And I looked over at them all gathering. I'm like, oh my gosh, my arms, my legs, where'd they go? I had them when I fell asleep. And I'm yelling this to get their attention. And a little like eight-year-old kid walked by and looks in and like, oh, I'm like, oh no, I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. And like a little girl, I'm like, sweetie, I just and she's like, oh, and she takes off running. I'm like, oh, that got awkward. But uh sometimes it backfires. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll be in the grocery store and, and some little kid in the shopping cart's like, What happened to that man's arm? And like the parents are like, No, don't say that. And I'll start laughing, like, ah, I just had a bad day at work, and I'm a robot, and I'll take my hand and I know your viewers can't see it, but I'll spin it like Look at that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. His 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 arm just spun around in a 360. Yeah. I was going to ask you a question, Travis, and that is, you know, I've always been the kind of person in my entire life that when I see someone who's lost an arm or they've lost fingers or there's some kind of physical abnormality, whatever you want to call it, whatever the proper term is, I don't ignore it. Like if I shake someone's hand and they're missing half their fingers, I go, oh, wow, what happened? I just kind of yeah. Organically, naturally go, oh, what happened? Like curiosity, not not this is weird or anything. Uh, and I always find that people who have gone through some sort of physical change, they appreciate me just kind of going like, hey, what happened, dude? You know, what's going on? Uh, as opposed to staring or any of the other things that I'm sure you've experienced. What, what's your advice to people on how you would like them to interact with you when they're surprised to see, you know, how you're living? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's there's a line you have to draw, right? At first, you know, you want to look and that's fine. And, you know, just say hi, have a conversation. But every now and then somebody's like stares and stares and, and you look at them and they see you and they lock eyes with you. Then they go back to staring. And I'm like, what are you staring at? You know, and like, I'm not a jerk. I'm like, be an adult about it. With little kids, I'm, you know, I tell them I'm a robot working Iron Man. It's no big deal. Right. But right. with adults, it's like, have, I get the curiosity, but like have a little bit of etiquette. You know, if you're looking at me for over seven seconds and we lock eyes and you're not saying hi to me, like we're, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a snarky thing to say to you. Not snarky. Just at first I'm be like, Oh, Hey, Oh, what are you staring at? No, I got something on my shirt. You know, like, come on. <laughs> right. But, uh, but no, I get asked like, what do I, if, if I see someone like you, what do I say? I'm like, I usually say hi or hello, but just, just everyone keep, wants to be treated normal, you know? Keep it as normal as possible. Yeah. And you know, I wasn't born like this. When I see people that are born with like cerebral palsy or born with amputations or deformities and like I'll go up and talk to them and they're kind of surprised like, oh, wow, someone's actually acknowledging me instead of like looking the other direction. And I, I feel bad because I think I was that person, right? Because, you know, you don't know, you don't understand, right? I didn't understand what it was like to have a abnormal, you know, looking, I, I don't know, what should I say? I didn't understand what it was like to be like I am now. Mm-hmm. To look different. Mm-hmm. And I would probably look and not want to, you know, be rude and stare. So I'd like snap my head as quick as I could the other way. So I wasn't caught like looking at this person for what, you know, was different about them than from from me or most everyday person or people. And uh, 
now I realize like I'd rather have that conversation. And you see some of these. So they can understand that they can understand that you're not that different. Yeah. Yeah. And I see some of these children that I'll go and talk to and they're like just so overjoyed that someone's acknowledging them. And I'm like, man, I just wish people knew if you treat everybody just the same, it's, you're not going to catch whatever they have. No one's going to catch an arms and legs from me, right? Like you're not going to have that. You're not going <laughs> to catch cerebral palsy or uh, spinal bifida from somebody. So, you know, it's just, you can accept it and have a conversation and it, it really means the world. Like, I mean, some people are crotchety and they're rude and, and I get that. I'm not going to say hundred percent everybody's going to love to have a conversation about what's going on. But when I see kids and I try to say hi to them and have a conversation, just look them in the eyes. It just, you can see the whole like, Oh my gosh, this person's actually talking to me and looking at my face, you know, instead of like my arm not being bent straight or things like that. Yeah, no, I really I appreciate that. I it's it's the more authentic way to to be as a as human beings to just kind of relate to people. And it's it's not it's not normal for us either. Like it, we're always taught to like like all the parents in the, in the store with the kids like, "Oh, don't say that. Don't don't, don't stare." And it's like, you know, I'd rather have them have the conversation. I say, no, it's fine. I'd rather have the conversation. I, I, I agree hundred percent. Before we get ready to wrap up, I want to make sure that we're talking about everything that we want the audience to know about you. So your website for your foundation is the Travis Mills foundation.org. Yep. Travis Mills foundation.org. Is the book available there? The book's on like Amazon. You can find it on travismills.org. That's my website personally, which uh-huh. you can get to from Travis Mills foundation.org. And it's also, on, on, it's also on Amazon, tough as they come. Oh, Go yeah. ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're, you're good. It's on Amazon. It, it's at Barnes and Nobles a lot of times and, and books a million, things like that. Fortunate make New York Times bestsellers list. I have a documentary out. You can find it on, right now it's on Fox Nation. It's not political. It's just on Fox Nation. And, what, and what's the name of the, what's the, name of the, uh, the documentary? Yep. Travis, A Soldier Story. And then if you follow me like, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, it's at SSG Travis Mills. So SSG Staff Sergeant, so at SSG Travis Mills. I just put a video up today. You might get a kick out of it if you get a chance to check her out. It's two and a half minutes long. But it's me and my my good friend who's my business partner. He's my neighbor. And Celine Dion song all by myself and me and him looking at each other but not being able to hang out. And then it's it's pretty funny. All right. I'm going to look it up as soon as we get off. Uh, and then also you had mentioned that um, you might be doing a, a reality TV show. Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it's a slow process, but it's in the works and it would be based off my marina, kind of like a Duck Dynasty feel. Uh-huh. And then also my speaking and things like that. But uh, Mike Rowe wants to be a producer on it. If you go on Facebook and you type in, we bought a lodge, you'll see the scissor reel, if you will, like what it would look like if it was an episode or um, was a TV show. And uh, it's pretty fun. You know, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, the possibility and potential of it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, you know, I really can't tell you how much uh, I think your message is is poignant and valuable at any time, but particularly at this time when I think a lot of people are feeling some fear and maybe focused on the wrong things or not, or, or at least focused on the things that aren't necessarily helping them move forward. And you're a guy, it seems like from the instant this situation happened and changed your life you've always been someone looking for the positive and the and and what you can impact not what you can't change anymore so i think your message is super powerful and super valuable right now is there anything else you want to say to the audience before we uh, we wrap up today well i mean obviously uh i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today and i hope i said something that was worth listening to uh, i'm not as interesting as you but 
Maybe I'll have <laughs> something in there, maybe something good. And then the last thing is that I would like to tell people is I would share the two life lessons, right? Don't dwell on the past, just reminisce it. And the second one is you can't always control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. And, you know, for me in my life, my situation every day I wake up with no arms, no legs on. But when I wake up in the morning and my legs and my arm are off, I jump in my wheelchair. I throw my arm on off the charger because I have to charge this, you know, electric. And I go down and have my coffee and my wife and son come down. My daughter comes down and we go about our day. So no matter whatever, you know, what situation you find yourself in, whether you're COVID-19 sitting at home, scared of everything, or, you know, maybe you had a problem at work today, just understand you're in charge of your attitude. And it's all about looking at the positives, pushing forward in life and getting after it every day. So that's, that's my two cents. I hope that didn't sound too bad, but I do appreciate the time and, and thank you for allowing me to share my story with you. No, it's a perfect way uh, to end and a perfect message. So I really, really appreciate you being here today, Travis. Thank you so much. Absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.